We are so excited to start our fall book study with you. And today's episode, we're beginning hope and invitation with the one and only Sister Josephine Garrett. And she just joins us today, and we have a good conversation among friends, highlighting themes in the book, sharing some personal stories, and it was a real treat for us, so we hope that you enjoy. Welcome to Life Beyond the Chariot, a faith and family series from the St. Philip Institute. We believe we are called to not only know, but also to live the truth of the gospel within our homes, in our workplaces, and beyond. We believe we are invited to encounter Christ in the messiness of day-to-day life and to live as his disciples. Welcome back, friends, and welcome in a special way to Sister Josephine Garrett, spiritual mother of our podcast, (laughs) uh, for the beginning of our fall book study. Welcome, sister. Thank you. <laughs> We're so excited. It's good to be back with y'all. Oh, yeah. man, we'd love to have you here. It's oh, so fun. I don't know. A little if... round table. <laughs> yes. yes, exactly. <laughs> um, sister Josephine is one of the reasons why we have this podcast. She helped us in 2020 to discern... Um, just different ways of ministering to people while we were in lockdown Mm -hmm. and as we discern like ways of really reaching the diocese as moms and people Mm. as part of the diocesan ministry staff. So we have lovingly referred to her as a spiritual mother uh, for this podcast, but also just a dear friend. Um, And we're really excited to be here to talk about your book. Yay! (laughs) Hope and Invitation. If you haven't ordered it, you need to do so right now. (laughs) And so we're spending the next three episodes um, going through uh, this book. And Mickey Siba and um, Marina, our communication specialist, put together this really beautiful guide um, that you can download. We'll have a link to that. Um, But really, we want to just dive in today with Sister, now that she's here with us, to talk about the book, the origins of it, but to really dive into some of the content with you, because this was so refreshing, (laughs) and there were several moments while I was reading that I just felt like the wind go out of me, like, I need to take that to prayer, so (laughs) it's going to be good. I couldn't believe I wrote a book. When they asked me, I was like, I can't write a whole book, like, it takes me months to turn in an essay so like yeah yeah it feels like a miracle yeah yeah so can you kind of explain how that happened like um how you were approached in your initial like and what made you say yes because it's an undertaking and it's quite vulnerable you share a lot yeah in here about your life so uh so I always I need to write these two women and I need to send these two women the book because I was on this podcast years ago, probably in 2018, maybe 17. And the podcast was called Deaf Sex and Money. And it was a podcast about the things people won't talk about. (laughs) And um, they wrote my provincial superior, they didn't write to me, they wrote my provincial superior and asked her if I could be on it, because they had seen some article. And she took it to her council and the and our communications director researched the podcast and they thought it would be good evangelization. It was a secular podcast, but thought it would be good evangelization. So they sent it to me and they're like, we want you to go on this podcast. And I'm like, what? You know, I go on it and have a conversation with this pretty secular lady about the Eucharist. And my, like my vocation, I didn't realize they have like a million downloads regularly. (laughs) So I started getting all these emails from people all over the country. 
the writer, the primary writer for Criminal Minds wrote to me and sent what? me a package of things. <laughs> no way. Because I mentioned their show on the podcast and he was like, listen, love the podcast. Here's some Criminal Minds merch. Oh, wow. Like, I just letters from people all over. And then these two girls from New York wrote and called Zoe and Heather and they worked for a talent agency in New York and they were the talent agency that manages like Regina King and Samuel L. Jackson (laughs) and they're like we want to be your talent agent for your book (laughs) and I was like I'm a nun (laughs) like I don't I don't have a talent agent it's called the Holy Spirit yeah Jesus is my talent agent and so I told them they were so sweet and so um very (laughs) secular but also respectful. Mm. Like, so they didn't know what they didn't know, but they mm. knew they didn't know what they didn't know. And they were mm. so respectful. And so in a really gentle way, I let them know y'all are so beautiful. And also it's not a match. <laughs> um, but they were the first ones to say to me, you can write a book. Ooh. And so, and I was like, I've just never even thought, but they were like, no, you can. Like mm. they were like, well, just from that podcast, we know you can write a book. And so I parted ways with Heather and Zoe and went on. And then shortly after, another publisher reached out that was Catholic and it just wasn't the right time or the right message. And then after that, our Sunday visitor reached out and there was something about that editor that reached out, Mary Beth, that it was like, she's, she's great. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so I sent her invitation to my provincial council, but I was just about to prepare for final vows. And that's not a time to write a book. Like, it's like, it's a called the black novitiate. So it's where you alter your life to feel as much as it can like a novitiate. And so it's not the time for extra ministry. And so we told Mary Beth we were interested, but she would need to wait over a year if she was really interested herself. And she did. Wow. And after final vows, we just kind of picked up and started praying. And I started with themes around um, the spousal call of the people of God like Mm. so that we are all going to be bride or spouse in the end so we played with outlines with that and they were wanting me to write a memoir and I was like I will not I'm 40 something (laughs) 40 something let me there are too many 40 something year olds in the world who think they know too much about too much okay it's (laughs) I was like I refuse to like think I can write a memoir in my 40s like I'm still young and so they were like, what about a theme? I really love the theme of hope. Mm. Um, my Final Vows Mystery has within it the theme of hope. Um, my faith journey has a departure point of hope, which is in the book. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, I'm happy to reflect on my life around that theme. And so mm. that's how we got there. And I wrote, I'm not good with deadlines. And so Mary Beth was great. I wrote a chapter a month and we met once a month. And she edited as we went. And we just prayed together um, over the course of a year. And there was a book in the end. Wow. That's beautiful. Yeah. It was so refreshing to read because we're friends. And it was great to to read it and hear your voice. And it was like having a conversation with you, honestly. So it was easy to read because sometimes, like, you get handed, like, these spiritual manuals. <laughs> and I have to, like, mentally prepare myself. And, like, I'm still trying to go through Soul of the Apostolate, like, five years <laughs> later. But with this book, it was you were sharing your story. So it's like your biography, but you're providing so much spiritual wisdom throughout in a very direct way. 
Um, and just that theme of hope all throughout and like the challenges that you issue. Like there were several points in the book where mm -hmm. honestly, like I had to, I, I set it down or I flagged something. So I was like, oh, I, I do need to take that to prayer. Um, and But the theme of hope in particular, can you... I mean, I know we want people to read the book and we don't want to ruin anything, but, <laughs> but like really understanding, you know, why, why hope and, um, yeah, like how, how did you enter into your story through, through that lens? Yeah. So I had a spiritual director. It was my very first spiritual director. So I had had like a secondary conversion and was like, Ooh, I need to take my little life seriously. And so I was learning to pray and got a spiritual director and he asked me, what's my greatest hope mm. and in that conversation with him and the pain of not being able to answer his question with um the dignity that we ought to answer that question with and not being able to do that at that time in my life i mean i was miss vice president at bank of america <laughs> and my hopes were very worldly and very secular and so but i'm growing in the faith and i have enough sense of the faith to know that my answers were ridiculous and so in that tension, I really came to understand that hope is not for the faint-hearted. Mm. And sometimes we can trivialize and make hope trite. But, and I say this in the book, I remember this, because I forgot a lot of what I wrote at this point. Um, but I remember saying that hope is the thing it's best likened to is labor pains. Mm. Like, right, because you are laboring with a child you have not yet held, but you hope to hold. And so... So it is for like the spiritual things that we long for. Like mm -hmm. we are, they are laboring in mm -hmm. us, you know, and ultimately laboring in the Blessed Virgin and in the, in the church and in the Lord, in the flesh of the Lord, so. Mm. Wow. I remember, and there was, there was so much about um, your life that I didn't know. Mm -hmm. And when you see the picture of this book, <laughs> like your face, like you exude joy um, because I'm, well, I'm convinced it's because of your connection with Christ and the Holy Spirit and your openness to just be intentionally like, how is the Spirit working mm. or how does he want to work in and through me? Mm -hmm. But you had, I mean, it was rough for you yeah. growing up. Yeah. And um, we can talk about the end of the book a little bit later, but because <laughs> it does talk like hope, like what do we hope for? And the idea that we're laboring. Yeah. Um, and one of the things that um, you have... Well, that I notice is like a theme in your book is just a little bit about your childhood and the wounds that that left for you and how that drew you into further reflection on where you are with God or like what those lessons taught you. Mm -hmm. And so I guess maybe just, um, I think sometimes when we see the joy in how you are now, <laughs> that sometimes I think we can be like, well, maybe that person doesn't know real suffering, mm -hmm. but you do. And you took your wounds and your experiences and you reflected on them in a beautiful way in this book that draws us into an intimate union mm -hmm. with God. So I don't know if you, I don't really know if there's a question in there. Yeah, I actually, if I got, there are a set of things and thank God as I get older, the list gets shorter, mm -hmm. but there are a set of things that annoy me like a lot and toxic positivity is one of them mm. you know that that kind of positivity that shoves people's sufferings to the side um trivializes makes them trite mm. and won't like abide you know mm. in struggle and abide in suffering that 
annoys me greatly because it is the enemy of authentic joy. Mm. And so joy is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the spouse of the Virgin Mary. The Virgin Mary, St. Augustine says, labors yet still today with each one of us until we're born into eternity. And so joy and suffering, joy and pain, joy and struggle, they they have to abide. Mm -hmm. And so I think the deeper our embracing of the meaning that the life of Christ gives to suffering and struggle, the deeper our joy, mm-hmm. our authentic joy. Because our joy is not because circumstances are delightful to me, our joy is in Christ. That like, no matter what the circumstances, Christ has the final say mm. because of his life, death, and mm-hmm. resurrection. So this is what begets joy. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess that's what I... Yeah. If you want to annoy me, bring that that trite pos- that trite pop psychology positivity. You know, I'm a manifest. Honey, you ain't manifesting a thing. So Name no, <laughs> no. I love that. Well, that also reminds me. Like one of the one of the themes that I think goes throughout the book as well is this idea of the way that God moves is not an overnight, like on demand sort of a thing. And it was amazing to hear uh, like some of the stories that you share, like revelations that you had in prayer, um, like the the story about the sculpture and how that was not resolved until like later. years later. Yeah. And that that's okay. Like that was such a good reminder for me because I feel like so often in prayer we expect like, well, this is what I want. This is what I desire. This is what I hope for, Lord. So... Here's my wish list. Now I'm just blessed check, it check, check, and check, check, check it off and and give it to me. But to see your story and to see like f- from childhood to where you are now and to see how the Lord has just woven all of these gifts and blessings and revelations mm-hmm. throughout it it was refreshing and it was inspiring just to be reminded of that that like God is always moving and it sometimes isn't until we're further on down the road that we can look back and say oh. Uh-huh. That's what she was doing. Yeah, yeah. And so I think uh, I was talking with someone about the book the other day. It was like another uh, podcast, and they were talking about, like, me bringing up my life and all the stories. And I told them, I was like, I'm a therapist, but I'm also an avid consumer of therapy. And so a lot of the things I talk about in the book, like um, my father's suicide, mm-hmm. like that experience of abandonment, not having our mom growing up, all these different things. Um, I've circled them before. Um, but like we all do this in the spiritual life. We keep circling around not to obsess over wounds. Mm. I think we've got in our American church, there is a new emphasis on inner healing, which I think can be good. Mm. Um, but to have caution that the center doesn't become healing my wounds. Like we have to keep Christ at the center. Mm. And so when we circle, it's not to obsess over the wounds, but to like circle with Christ to let him reveal anew what he wants to reveal always Mm -hmm. in a spirit of hope. And so I appreciate the inner healing ministries, but I I do see the need for caution there. Mm -hmm. Um, But so Yeah, it's a joy for me. We have a sister who says it's not good to live in one world and pray in another. And so we have to pray with our life experiences because there we will meet Christ. Like he's in the present moment. He's in in the experiences we've had. And so we have to pray with our life. Mm -hmm. Like our prayer can't be an abstraction um, because 
Christ is incarnate in the flesh and he encounters us in our flesh and our reality. And so, um, yes, to pray with the real life and then let Christ reveal it in his time, because one of the fruits of my prayer is that it delights the Lord to take his time with us. Mm-hmm. Cause I think one of the stories I share is that my relationship with my mom, it doesn't, my birth mom, it doesn't look like a Hallmark movie. And I don't know if it ever will, mm-hmm. who knows what God has in mm-hmm. store for the two of us. We're both faith filled women. So that means anything is possible. Um, that means anything is possible, but yeah, it's not, it's not a one and done. And that has brought me more delight over time. That used to be really hard for me, but over time, like knowing that God is eventually going to keep revealing things is delightful. Mm. It's delightful. Yeah. And what you're saying brings two things to mind. Actually, one thing at the very beginning of the book and one thing near the end of the book is at the beginning, um, you basically tell the reader, like, give yourself the gift of acknowledging when a wound is simply scathing. And I think sometimes either we as humans have not been equipped with how to handle some of those deep wounds and so we're like push it aside push it aside and it manifests itself in ways um that we may be like why can't i stop doing this or why can't i get over that why is even if my prayer life is increasing or i think it is or even Mm -hmm. if i'm going through what people say i should be doing there just seems to be this this cycle of returning back to certain things um and being able to like face those wounds and like what is what where is God in this? Um, because he's there. And what can I learn through this? But just permission to know, like, you know what? There is a wound there. Um, and not become self-obsessive over it, but just, right. like, acknowledging, like, it's there. It has impact on my life. This is how. Mm. Um, or maybe I'm still learning right. that this is how. But just the ability to, like, it is good to acknowledge that there's something. There's hurt And it hurts. Yeah, yeah, it hurts. Yeah. Um, and then sort of like fast forwarding to the end of the book is, is one of the things you talked about with um, your counseling, and, and, and you can even see this in your own sort of journey towards healing and relationship with Jesus, but you said um, that over time you learned that healing trauma gave you a front row seat to some of the most beautiful work that the resurrected Jesus is doing in this world and through his spirit. Uh, this is precisely what Jesus rose to restore. Um, and you say as a counselor, helping people heal from from trauma, I get to witness the empty tomb on a regular basis. That that sometimes, like, the joy of the resurrection is because Jesus died. Like, there mm-hmm. was, um, and that was powerful. Yeah. That was powerful mm-hmm. to me, like, but mm-hmm. making those two sort of at the be- ends of the book. Yeah. Um, and so I do. That is, like I said, some of the stuff I don't remember what I wrote, but that I do, that I want people to feel encouraged to walk into the tomb and to have the courage of Mary Magdalene to stoop down in, um, because we know because of Christ what happens in tombs. Mm-hmm. Like they are no longer places of death only, they are places of like the breaking through of the light of the resurrection. And so, yeah, so it is with our struggles and our wounds and I admire my clients because it just takes a lot of courage. It takes a lot of courage to sit down and say, um, I am struggling, I am broken, like, can't, I, I need help. <laughs> so, yeah. One of the quotes that I highlighted towards the end on page 103, hope can feel like a problem precisely because it needs a tomb to be what it is and to do what it will do. And like to just sit with that mm-hmm. <laughs> in prayer. Yeah. I don't think people realize that. 
as much. There, there's one I I wanted to. I realize we're like zooming towards the end of the book. But no, already. What? Already. I know we're only like 15 minutes into this discussion. But one of like my absolute favorite parts of this book is towards the end where you're talking about the Eucharist or like the Eucharistic disturbance. <laughs> Because and like you discuss how you know we expect because I see this in myself how I expect to like go and have this really emotional, beautiful adoration experience, but I'm just gonna read it. Culturally in our church, we are beginning to relegate encounters with Jesus in the Eucharist to those which are emotionally pleasant or consoling, but the Eucharistic presence is also a disturbance and rightly so. It is the incarnation, not just breaking forth into time, but breaking forth into each one of us conforming us to the likeness of Christ and bringing us into one in Jesus. This is a remodel. And just, could you break that open some more for us? I mean, that just comes from my own experience in prayer before the Eucharistic Lord. Like there have been moments where I'm like, you are rude. <laughs> Like rude, yes. <laughs> so like I mean I can remember my the first um, like experience of intense conviction before the Eucharist that I had, and I don't think this is a story in the book. Um, I was I was just struggling. I was having this real rough day, and I had come from a counseling appointment like earlier that week, and my counselor kind of shook some things up. And then I got promoted that week. Maybe I did write about it. I got promoted. And it was a huge. It was my first time to have the title mm. vice president. I was in my 20s. I got promoted and I cried all day. And then I was trying to get to a birthday party at a theology of the body study group I was supposed to go to. So I was making, you know, Catholic friends and getting promoted. There were balloons in my car and I was crying. And I just thought to myself, I, I've got to stop and see what is going on. And what my counselor and I had been talking about was me going to uh, see my mother for the first time. Mm. And so that is what we were discussing in counseling. And so it started to rain. I've got these balloons in the car. I'm crying. And I finally was like, I need to call it. And so I went to the Adoration Chapel that was closest off the highway. I went in and I got on my knees. And I had this dialogue with God, like, you know, what, what, <laughs> like, what is this about? What is it you want to say? Clearly I can see something, you know, that you have something to say, or I just wouldn't be the best that I am. What is it? And I tell you the conviction that rose up in me, it was like quiet in my heart and mind. But what I perceived from the Lord was, well, then tell me why you don't pray for her. Mm. Mm. And I realized I couldn't remember mm. a time I had uttered a prayer for my mother. Mm. Mean, you know, this holy woman, right? <laughs> At mass and this and all of this. And I couldn't remember a time I had uttered a prayer for her. And so this is the power of the Eucharistic Lord, you know, not a tool for my emotional consolation, mm. but um, access to a conversion so powerful that it makes me like Christ, mm. you know, like degree by degree and slowly over time. And so that's what I mean by that, to like let the Eucharist like be in charge of what's happening in my conversion, not me. Yeah. 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 And you do talk about that a lot in the first few chapters, like this whole idea of, of surrendering mm -hmm. and that sometimes it can look like we're surrendering, like we're going through the, like Motion. the motions. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, sometimes I have to be like, well, am I really surrendering? I think I am. Am I? You know, like I have this dialogue with myself a lot. And then what I don't do is like, Lord, am I surrendering? You know, I need to do that more. Um, but 
I put in my notes, truth bomb. <laughs> and what you say is um, when we live our lives as if we have control beyond ourselves, we render ourselves helpless and hopeless. When we think that we have control over other things, um, over other people, over situations, mm-hmm. that really the only thing we have control over is ourselves. Yep, right. And when we have the humility to say like, okay, Lord, then he will reveal to us. It's like a rush of power. Like yeah. here comes the power. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then we might be like taken back by what he has to say to us. Like, oh, oh. <laughs> ouch, ouch. <laughs> I don't know if I like that. With you know? the kids at St. Gregory, we have an activity to help them understand like what I can control versus what I can't. And so I put Play-Doh and a rock on their desk and it's like, is it, like trying to bend a rock or is it like trying to bend play-doh because when i'm trying to control things i don't have control over it's like i'm trying to change the shape of a rock Mm. Um, is what it's like into which is frustrating yeah (laughs) i love that example yeah (laughs) (laughs) it's frustrating oh it's so good it's so good i there's so many different places that i want to go and i Mm -hmm. know we wanted to to focus in on um the the first two chapters Mm -hmm. but um yeah, just this this ability to to explain like that God God is moving constantly and like to to place ourselves in that posture of surrender like mm-hmm. you're saying like that's really hard to do. It's really really hard to do and to not step into prayer with an agenda or with, um, you know, this like preconceived notion of like, well, Lord, I just want you to bless my plans or anoint my plans. But to say like, Lord, I, I don't know what you're doing. Like to actually be able to have that honest prayer of like, Lord, I don't Mm -hmm. know what is going on. Um, but I, but I'm willing to let you take the lead. Um, like how hope is, how hope is just part of, of all of that, or like learning mm-hmm. all of those different things. And so like, it's a surrender, cause surrender looks different from moment to moment. Sometimes it's surrendering to saying something. Sometimes it's surrendering to saying nothing. Mm. Sometimes it's surrendering, you know, it looks different. And so like, there's that question, I think this comes up in like, it's a saying from 12 step programs where they say, do the next right thing. Mm-hmm. And so how often are we praying for just the next yep. right thing, yep. you know? Like, um, and having the courage to hope that just focusing on the next right thing is sufficient and enough. Like sometimes we're trying to hold on to too much and that can also render us a little, uh, render us helpless. I think I probably talked some about that when talking about the present moment. I think there are places in the book where I talk Mm. about the the importance of the present moment, Mm -hmm. but the next right thing and it uh, surrender does takes many forms, I guess is how I would say. Um, and to like grow in docility to the Holy Spirit so we can sense the next right move. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, that was actually gonna be one of my questions. Like, okay, people who are like, all right, I wanna make sure I'm doing the surrendering thing right. properly. <laughs> um, two things, one is that uh, in, in the book too, you say like surrendering our lives is like degree by degree. So it's mm-hmm. not like a, okay, Lord, I'm surrendering it all to you and then just happens like that, you know? <laughs> Um, but I was going to ask you, like, what are some practical steps of people like, 
I, I want to do this. I want to do this in the way, like what, what can we do? So I love that. Yeah. What's the next? To pray for the next yeah. right thing. Yeah. yeah. And to look for the fruits, like the from Galatians, like look from the, look for the fruits of the Holy Spirit and let them be your guide. Cause there are times when I've said tough things and had complete peace. Like one of my friends joke with me, they're like, he says, you can say the hardest thing to somebody, have the hardest conversation with somebody and then sleep like the dead. <laughs> just rest peaceful <laughs> and I'm like because in that case it was the next right thing but sometimes yeah. I opened my mouth and it was not the next right thing like silence would have been the next right thing mm. and I don't have peace and mm. I don't feel joy and there's not kindness and there's not love mm. and so like trust the fruits of the Holy Spirit we're complex God is not complex we are complex <laughs> and that's another thing that's growing in me spiritually like in the last 10 to 15 years is a desire for simplicity mm. um, a desire for simplicity in my relationship with god because god is simple like we we are complex yeah mm -hmm. i feel like i have so many things i want to talk about um <laughs> one of the things that you had mentioned and this was actually a prayer that i remember actually i don't remember very many homilies but there's one in particular that i remember um it was before my senior year in college and um i was listening to this priest and um in his homily he had said these words he's like take jesus by the hand mm. and walk with him into the unknown mm. and so when uh, you almost have verbatim those words in your book page 14 by the way <laughs> um so walk with jesus into the unknown and it brought up that whole situation that i had been experiencing in my life about Actually, I didn't even know there was like a situation coming, mm. <laughs> but I, for some reason mm. that homily stuck with me. And so when I when I'm like, okay, well, I don't know what to do, I have to literally envision me taking my hand and putting it in the hand of Jesus. I'm like, okay, as long as I have His hand, I'm good. But the fact that like the idea that these words and these phrases like. Years later, I mean, that was back it's in 2000. Yeah, yeah. it's there for you. And ask questions like, do I feel good about the fact that Jesus will take me somewhere that I don't know? Mm. Like, do mm. I trust him to take me someplace good? Mm. Um, yeah, because there have been moments where I wanted to snatch my hand back because I wasn't quite sure I was into where he was going to take me. Yeah. Um, and so even just to ask ourselves though, those questions, is, is like, as I take Jesus' hand, Am I good with where we're gonna go? Mm -hmm. And how would I describe where I think he's taking mm -hmm. me? And um, yeah, am I ready to go there? Are there fears I have about going there? Yeah, or, yeah whatever he has ahead. So. What I love about really just talking to you in person and in your book is this, um, uh, you set the example in here about just being um, vulnerable with like being vulnerable enough with Jesus. Um, to where you can be at a place to honestly answer those questions. Yeah. Um, and that can be a very scary place to be in, I think, because um, it is kind of scary, like, oh, no, if I want the answer, you know, that we <laughs> that we tend to, like, love Jesus from a distance sometimes, like, okay, Stay over there. show me first before I put my hand. But I, there's something, um, and maybe this is what God is speaking <laughs> in my life, like, there's, um, we need to save time in our prayer life to, be vulnerable and ask Jesus those questions like, okay, let's say I did this. Let's say I held your hand. Where would we and go? Where would we go? And am, am I ready? Yeah. Uh, 
And then listen. And like, if you have proximity to the sacraments, right, you're going to mass, you're going to confession regularly, um, then you can get into and have faith in what you perceive in prayer over time, you know? So ask God those questions and then listen to what prompts in your heart and mind. Let that build over time into this conversation with God, Mm -hmm. you know? I don't know. God will honor you. Um, It does need the foundation of proximity to the sacraments, though. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. I think one of the things that I, I keep going back to in, in our conversation and just throughout the book as well is this idea of the slow work of God. And I know we, we kind of started the conversation with that, but like how important it is to rest in that, like the rhythm of whatever God's movement is, because I know for me, I can get in my mind that this is how, okay, like I, I went through high school, I discerned my vocation, I married, now I have children, and now this is what it's supposed to look like. Like, <laughs> I've got it all figured out because I'm, I'm locked in to um, marriage and family life. Um, I'm working in full-time ministry, but to realize that there are, there are movements and things that God is doing that I probably don't even realize yet, and to, like, to realize that I have to create the space or meet the Lord in prayer so that I can receive that. Cause even in, in like your stories about the saints and how like the saints, how they run alongside us and how they have popped up. And even the story of how you, how you discovered the name Josephine and just, it's so beautiful to see like how the Lord surprises us in these ways. But like, we have to have a posture like that posture of receptivity. I think we've talked yeah. about that in lots of different ways, lots of different podcasts, yeah. but what I feel when I, what's hard for me about the slow work of God, right? I would love it, right? If we all at first communion, we were perfected, mm-hmm. right? It would be so delightful. <laughs> like just be perfected and then live life perfected. Yes. There's the slow work. What's hard for me, uh, has been hard for me with the slow work of God is, especially as a sister, you know, as someone who, I think, and y'all are ministry leaders, so I think it can come up for ministry leaders too, is it feels, it can feel shameful to walk around still a work in progress. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And for, like, in, in some ways, the ways that God is slowly working things out in us, they're visible. They're on the outside. We can't hide them. <laughs> they're visible character defects. And so the slow work of God, if, if we're not mindful, can become a source of shame mm. for us. And then, mm bring difficulties into our relationship with God. And so that was what was really on my mind in that chapter is like, as I continue to struggle with these character defects and and whatever, and I, I struggle and I stumble and I confess it and I keep striving and struggling, like um, where am I with being a member of the body of Christ, showing my mm-hmm. face before the body of Christ and still a work in progress mm-hmm. and still in this dynamic of the slow work of God mm. um, and, and having the humility to be a work in progress out in the open and not having to tuck it away. Because if I'm tucking it away, like, then do I also tuck away God's graces at work in Oof. me? Mm. And so what am I ashamed of the Lord, you mm. know, and, and mm. how he has willed to work in me slowly over time. And so that's what comes to mind for me. Because I know there have been times where like I'm, ashamed because of my visible character defects, you know, and am I less of a credible witness because I'm struggling, you know, and am I, um, because I don't appear to have it all together, am I a cause for scandal in another Mm. person's faith? Mm. Like these are real struggles for any, anybody who wants to love the church enough to lead in it, 
And so I think particularly for ministry leaders, for priests, religious, like for us to confidently embrace the slow work of God and not let shame take root and make us hide uh, and make us hide. So Mm. I appreciate that so much. There's several points in the book where you're like, you know, specifically for ministry leaders, I need you to hear this. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I was actually trying to find it because I underlined it somewhere. (laughs) Oh, here it is. Page 89, everybody. (laughs) Um, those of you who minister, I need you to hear me on this. <laughs> I love it. I can like. I was like, like yes, ma'am. I'm just weird. That's what I thought. <laughs> I was like, this is gonna hurt. It's like when you when you tell me as a friend like DNI need to be direct, and I'm like, okay, brace yourself. <laughs> I tell people. People will come up to me and they're like, I wish we were friends, and I'm all, no, you don't. Talk to my real friends, and they'll tell you fall back, run, don't walk. I'm rude. I have too many opinions. <laughs> But you say what needs to be said, and that's exactly what's on page well 89. <laughs> um, but I think that's what so many people love about you. Um, and it's what I need I need to in my life. But here's what you said. Um, sometimes when we seek to minister, we get so in the way that Christ, who is the one we are administering to others, has no room to enter in. Oh, I mean, that just hit me. Yeah, I flagged that. Did you? Yep. I was like, important to remember. <laughs> um and um, but I think it goes back to what we talked about earlier, like surrendering, yeah. you know, like, am I am I getting out of the way so Christ can do what he mm-hmm. wants in this through me if I have a role to play yeah. in, in that thing? And and this not only in my ministry, but also in my vocation as a mother, yeah, like when you talked about the slow uh, work of God and my husband uses this image all the time. Because sometimes I can be a little frustrated when I've told my kids the same things over and over again. He's like, babe, here's what you're doing. It's like you're planting a seed, you're watering it, and then you're yelling at it, grow, 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 grow. That's a really good analogy. Like that, it doesn't work. Yeah. And so I have to remind myself like, okay, not only is God slowly working mm. in me, like there are some things that he is going to heal slowly, that he is going to reveal slowly, yep. yes. that he's going to ask me yep. to change slowly. Yep. And I also need to understand and I think this has been one of the helpful parts in surrendering, in a sense, those people in my life who I, mm. like, I'm desperately trying to, like, yeah. I'm trying to take their hand and put it in Jesus. <laughs> you know, like, come on, come on, come on. Yeah. And I do that with my children and, like, family and um, other people. I'm like, I just want you to, once you have his hand, I know, mm-hmm. then I can let go. Mm-hmm. And then I have to realize, like, God is still reaching for them as much as God is slowly working in my life they're also on this journey. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that has actually helped in my mm-hmm. surrendering is that there, we may be looking at other things like this is going too slow or maybe I mm-hmm. can expedite mm-hmm. this thing <laughs> instead of like, all right, Holy Spirit, Jesus, use me if this is what you want me. Right. Mm-hmm. And then to remember like the most powerful weapons in our hopes for the conversion of ourselves and our loved ones. I recently got back from Magigoria and I was very skeptical. I was like, I don't know about no visionaries. <laughs> um, but all that, all visionaries aside, like what I found there was um, very deep prayer. Mm-hmm. It was a place of deep prayer. Mm-hmm. Like people didn't come to see statues and works of art. Mm-hmm. Thousands of pilgrims were just there to adore Lord, the Lord of the Eucharist, mm-hmm. go to mass, say the rosary. Um, fast with the village the days they were fasting go to confession and climb the mountain 
mountains. I mean, where do you go in the world where there's thousands of people who just went there to go climb some mountains and pray, right? <laughs> but so I was like, okay, let me see what Mary said to them. <laughs> like now, you know, because I see this fruit, that yeah. it's a place of prayer. Yeah. So I was like, okay, let me open this book and see what Mary's talking about. So these visionaries, and it was just five things. And the message was, for the conversion of our loved ones, the most powerful thing we can do is to read the scriptures, pray the rosary, fast, go to mass faithfully, and go to confession once a month at least. Mm. And that, if a whole bunch of people get together do those five things, the world will be mm. converted. Mm. Can we say those real slowly? <laughs> <laughs> pray the scriptures, or play with the scriptures, pray the rosary, fast, Wednesdays and Fridays specifically, go to mass regularly, and go to confession at least once a month. Mm. And awesome. conversion. And so just I, I bring that up that like these, again, like our power is in realizing we are weak. Mm -hmm. And when we're weak, we make room for the power of Christ. Mm -hmm. And then the things we hope for, they like they come to fruition. Mm -hmm. The hopes we have that align with the hopes of the heart of Christ. Yeah. yeah. And so like what we hope for for our loved ones, we gain in the in the prayer life and fasting yeah. we could talk to you about this all day. I know, <laughs> I know. Um, everybody should just get the book <laughs> it's so good it's, it's so tiny good. so it it's really, not, you're it's not a, a big reader it's an easy read <laughs> and it will be like sitting down with sister Josephine and there'll be moments where she'll be like all right, let me tell you something <laughs> Just listen, read. pull Just out read. your highlighter. I'm going to need you to take this to prayer. It's so, <laughs> so good. So we're excited to just spend the next couple of episodes for, for the rest of the year um, going through this book. And like we said at the beginning, um, Mickey did a really good job of oh, breaking this you. down. I love to, it. Uh, I love it so much. <laughs> a nice guide. Thank There's you. places for reflection. She's thrown in some Bible readings mm -hmm. as well. So there'll be a link to directly download it. Um, if you had any issues downloading it through Flocknote. We'll just have the book available there. But one thing I did want to um, give you a chance to talk about, sister, is your podcast, um, Hope Stories. Could <laughs> yeah. you? And we'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. Yeah, that was just a treasure. So while I was writing the book, the folks at OSB were in a big meeting and they wanted to start a podcast platform. And my editor was in the meeting. And so their idea was to pick a bunch of hosts and let the hosts talk about what they wanted to talk about. And so one of the people said, well, we want to invite Sister Josephine. And my editor said, you will not because she needs to finish her book. <laughs> <laughs> Which, again, I love her for that. It's all true. And then someone said, well, what if it's connected to the book? Mm. And then they kind of got an idea to do some integrated marketing. And so the podcast, I mean, like the book, people will be like, how did you come up with the podcast? Or how did you come up with the book? And I tell people... I live, I live in a um, very diverse community. So there's mm -hmm. all kinds of ethnicities. I live with Polish women. We've got Vietnamese women. We've got all kinds of, and then I grew up in a home that was American and Caribbean. So I'm always aware when people say things that are very American. It's very American to say, how did you come up with this? Mm -hmm. And think there was a linear path. <laughs> yeah. like, I went through that point. It's like, it's, it's a very American thing. And so it was the same with the podcast. It was like a, we knew we were going to do something. We didn't know about what. In all these conversations, we just all kind of listened to the Holy Spirit and came to, it'll be stories about hope. Um, and then the, the audience we started with, which was Black Catholics, um, came from my editor. Mm. And so she said there was a point in the book where I was sharing that I just don't know if 
I had not come to the University of Dallas if anyone would have come to a black neighborhood, a black mm-hmm. church looking for me. Mm-hmm. And that we have to look at that. Like, are we going after these souls like the apostles? You know, leaving our places and going to get all the people who are called to the Eucharistic table and needed at the Eucharistic table. Mm. So the church will be what it ought to be and what it says it is. And so um, that struck Mary Beth really deep in her heart. Mm. And so she was the one who said the podcast needs to be about that. <laughs> so it. yeah, it was her idea. So for this first, I don't know if there'll be a second or season or not. It would be a different topic. So hope stories with a different group of people. Uh-huh. Uh, but this first season is hope stories with Black Catholics, and it's just stories of faith. Uh, it's stories of faith from wonderful people, and it's great. Deanna's a guest. Her parents are against yeah. on the podcast. And, yeah, Father that Josh was Johnson, joy. Father Josh Gloria Johnson, Purvis. everybody. There's Chica. some great. My favorite episode is with my own parents. So my aunt uh, returned to the church after I made first vows. And so she and my uncle are on the podcast. Are they the last ones? They're the second to last. last. We let Archbishop be last. (laughs) Right and just. Archbishop be last, which is right and just. So that was a joy. We recorded all those episodes over three days. And I had a pile of Kleenex on the floor next to me. <laughs> so it was beautiful. It's so good. Yeah, so it was just it an is. honor to sit in that kind of seat. I had never mm. done that before. Just like to sit in a seat and make space for people to share their stories. Mm. Uh, that that was cool. <laughs> and it's really yeah, cool to listen to. Cool. So we'll put a link to that in the show notes. Sister, you are such a gift to Thank us in the diocese of tyler specifically the tyler community and just I beyond love tyler <laughs> i love tyler this is when i first came here i was not sure i was like i'm going where um, why why it has been absolutely delightful the people are ex east texas are good people um and it was the right place to be to write a book about hope yeah because east texas yeah. people are hopeful people they are uh, generous people, forgiving people. Um, so it's just been an honor. And it's, this is the first place where I ministered and I wasn't ministering with the sisters. Mm. And so it, in a sense, like um, East Texans have helped me learn to minister to the people of God. Mm. And so when I think about how generously I've been received, it is beautiful. Yeah. So it was the perfect place to be mm-hmm. while I was writing a book about hope because East Texas people have a great way of laboring with the hopes of what God wants to do in a person mm-hmm. and in his church. Mm-hmm. Very patient people, very forgiving, loving people. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. We just love you so much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So good place much. to serve. So. Oh, thank yeah. you. Yeah. Thank we love you. having you here so much. Thank you. So great. Will you close this with prayer, sister? Yes. Uh, <laughs> let me think what I want to pray. What, Lord, what are we going to pray about? <laughs> In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for your presence in our lives, particularly in the places uh, where we may be experiencing uncertainty, darkness, Uh, Lord, in places that feel like tombs, help us to wait with your son. Help us to wait in those areas of our lives to await the power of the Holy Spirit that will certainly break through the light of resurrection. Lord, as we wait with the Holy Spirit and wait on the Holy Spirit, may we show forth the fruits of the Spirit as we wait for your kingdom to come, for your will to be fulfilled. As we wait, Lord, help us to be joyful servants, joyful servants of your kingdom, and servants filled with certain hope 
that you will not fail us, that you will come through. Uh, thank you for Deanna and Mickey, for their families, for everyone who serves uh, the St. Philip Institute, who serves in this diocese, and all the people of East Texas. Uh, thank you for this local church and all the good that is in it and all the ways that your kingdom is revealed in it and continues to flourish in it. And we place it under your protection and your care. And we offer this prayer in the name of your Son, through the power of the Spirit, and through the intercession of our Mother Mary as we pray together. Hail Mary, full, full of grace, grace, the Lord is with thee. thee. Blessed art thou among women, women and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.